And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God. Father, we come before you as the Father in heaven. And we come, Father, to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits. That you might speak into our lives. That, Father, you will continue to transform us to become the people that you call us to be. Father, we pray that we will understand what your word says to us as we gather here together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we uh, commenced the beginning of our new series that we are looking at in terms of the values that we hold as a church. And Brian showed us the importance of values and how they uh, they underpin our, our lives, but also how they can change over time, especially as we grow older. And then he gave us an overview of the seven values that we have uh, embraced as a church here over the years, which underpins all our life and all our ministry together. And today we're considering the first of those particular values, the value of being God-dependent. That is, as a church, that we value depending on God for all that we are and all that we do. And we express our dependency through trust, through worship, through prayer, and through spirit-filled living. And our dependency affirms that God is at work in our world and that we are committed to living his purpose in surrender and obedience. For when we depend on God, we discover the purpose for our gifts and how we're to fit into God's plan rather than our plan, both as individuals but also as a community together. Now, one of the key passages that has been used to underpin that kind of that um, particular uh, value that we hold as a church is the one that we've just read a moment ago in Matthew 6. Now I know that most of us in either growing up or uh, would have learnt later uh, in life a prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray and the prayer begins with our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. There is the word kingdom. Your kingdom come. When we pray that word, when we say your kingdom come, we're simply saying, oh God, may up there come down here. We pray for your kingdom to be expanded from heaven down here on earth. That your will be done here just as it is done there. The kingdom of God, you see, is really central to the teachings and the missions of Jesus. You know, he told all kinds of stories. He used metaphors, he used parables to describe and expand our our understanding of God's kingdom. For instance, Jesus described the kingdom of God like a banquet or a wedding reception, as a place of laughter and love, of joy and singing, dancing, even for Baptists, and food. The kingdom of heaven is like a great big party and we're invited to the party. And the host wants everyone to come. But not everybody's an RSVP. Jesus also says that the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure hidden in a field. He tells the story of the guy who finds his treasure buried in the field, but one problem is that he doesn't own the field. And so he enters into negotiations to buy the field, and when he gets a price for it, it's pretty steep. And he knows that it's what's buried there is worth more than it. And so he goes home and he has a monster garage sale. And he sells his boat and his car and his PlayStation and his computer and his phone and his house and so on. So that he finally gets enough money together to buy the field that has the buried treasure. For in that parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like that. That once you find it, you'd be crazy not to give up everything you own so that you could have this priceless treasure. That it could be yours. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of heaven could be like yeast that causes bread to rise. The kingdom of heaven causes hope to rise and everywhere it permeates, everywhere the kingdom goes, hope rises. So Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. And one time he even picked up a little child, and he said, unless you humble yourselves like a child, you will not get into the kingdom. On another day, in directing his words to the religious leaders, he tells them that not everyone who pretends to know God will actually enter the kingdom. He told us that if we seek God's kingdom first, if we will depend on him, 
like the birds in the air and the flowers on the field do, that everything that we need in life will be provided for us if we depend on him. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was such a central place in Jesus' teachings. So what is this kingdom? Well, kingdoms are often a sphere of control. It's where you rule. It's this empire that you control with your tastes and your likes and your purposes and your values and your character. It's an environment that you arrange just how you like it. So with that definition in mind, maybe your kitchen is your kingdom, your domain. Or maybe it's your shed or your garage or your office or your workplace or your car or your boat or your house. I wonder whether we have little kingdoms in our lives because I know that I can personally identify with some of those places. I was once in a workplace or part of a workplace. There was a constant battle that was going on between two staff persons over the control of the kitchen. One would set it up the way that she wanted. She left notices all around the kitchen about where everything belonged. But when she wasn't around, the other person would come in and rearrange the cupboards where everything was changed. The other would reciprocate and so on. But not only did that create an enormous tension between them, it totally disrupted our office. My little kingdom for many years was probably my home office. Had a place for everything. Well organised, don't you disturb where everything is. Place for my coffee, place for everything, book, everything else. Who took my pen? <laughs> I was reminded of it when our son was only four years of age, when he went walking around our house going, get out of the office, get out of the office, get out of the office. And I was probably chastised. Don't mess with my office. It's my domain. Reflects my style, my character, my preferences, what I like and how I like it. But God's kingdom is a place that perfectly reflects his character, his values. It's his domain where things operate the way the thing, way that he likes them. And therefore God's kingdom is a place of joy. God's kingdom is a place of truth and grace and healing and life and compassion and forgiveness and peace. God's kingdom is a wonderful place because he is wonderful. God's kingdom is a good place. Because he is good. God's kingdom is a kind place. Because he is kind. It's a strong place. Because he is strong. God's kingdom 
perfectly reflects who he is. So we pray, O God, may up there come down here. But God's kingdom is so different from the kingdom of this earth. It's upside down. It's back to front from what we would think. And that's why today I actually want to take this word kingdom and I want to use it to prompt us about some, just some of the characteristics of what it looks like when we allow God to work in our world, when we depend upon him and the part that we have to pay, play in uh, surrendering to his purposes. What does it mean for us to align ourselves with his kingdom and therefore depend upon him in the way that we live, both as individuals and collectively as a church community? I'm actually going to reverse the order by starting from the end of this word and work backwards. So in God's kingdom, the M for me, for this morning anyway, stands for more is less, and I would add less is more. You see, in our world, in the kingdoms of earth, more is more. That's the rule of our society, right? You gain, you climb, you accumulate, you win, whoever, however you have to do it. No matter how many people you have to step over, no matter how many people you need to stand on, because the earthly kingdom is all about you and your kingdom. More is more, but not so with the kingdom of God. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew in chapter 16. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? He's saying, what will you benefit if you gain more and more and more and yet lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus is saying that the more you are looking, what you are trying to get is found in less. In his kingdom, the way to become full is to empty yourself to lay down your pride, your rights, your attempts to hang on to all those outcomes, to lay your ego down on the altar, he says, and follow wherever I lead. That's the value of dependency. If you want to have the adventure of a lifetime, then you need to loosen your grip. You need to lay down your pride. Your rights. You need to give up control. Surrender to his leadership and to his wisdom. 
And friends, life then will be this thrilling ride of purpose and passion and joy and peace and deep, deep satisfaction according to Jesus. It is so countercultural, he says, but in this upside down, backwards kingdom of God, more is less and less is more. In other words, in his kingdom, it is always others first. I was getting fuel the other week up at um, there around corner, and after it filled up, I was trying to pull out into uh, the road there, and um, it was an enormous amount of traffic. You know what it's like here around school time here in the mornings? And I thought, oh, how long is this going to take me to get out? And some very kind person kind of stopped his vehicle and waved me and gestured for me to come into the light. I was really pleased. I kind of smiled to him and I kind of waved to thank him for, for being so generous towards me. And I wondered how many, why more people wouldn't do that. If we put others first, the world would be a much better place. So I continued on my journey and around about up the road and then down New Line Road, a bit further down, you know, when the left-hand lane then merges into the right-hand lane. And there was a car that shot up there in that uh, left-hand lane trying to get ahead of everybody. Did you think I was going to let him in? <laughs> As I started a little bit of conscience about it, I looked in my rear vision mirror and there was the man who had let me in behind me and I realised that the problem with the world isn't everybody else it's me it's me there's a scripture about all that that we, I think we all should all memorise really in Philippians 2 and verses 3 to 4 where Paul says don't be selfish don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as, uh, as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, in God's kingdom, it's others first. People don't use each other. Now they honour each other as better than themselves. They mourn with those who mourn and they walk with them in their grief. They celebrate when something good happens to another person even when it doesn't happen to them. And the people in this kingdom are the first ones to unleash compassion to pick up a broom, to scrub a toilet, to throw a towel over their arm and to serve someone, to clean up after others who run errands, who pursue justice for the disadvantaged and the marginalised. People who do this are people who belong to the kingdom. They are people who depend upon God and who put others first. In fact, in this kingdom, you actually descend into greatness. Ego stands for edging God out. And when you just get so full of yourself of climbing the ladder 
or knocking down anyone else who gets in your way to success. There is no room for God. There is no room for anyone else, including God in your life. But Jesus redefined greatness, saying that in his kingdom, greatness is not something to ascend uh, into, but it is some you descend into greatness. Philippians 4, uh, 2 continues to talk about this. And actually, this passage became one of the favourite worship songs in the early church because it reminded them to embrace Jesus' approach to life and to lay down their ego on the, on the altars every single day they got out of bed. Philippians 2.5, in your relationship with other, one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. The first step towards greatness in your life is this. This is how you begin to lay down your ego at the altar. You roll out of bed every day and you ask the Holy Spirit of God to remind you that throughout this day that you are not the centre of the universe. And you pray today in regard to me, my own self-importance, my own ego, I choose to have the same mindset as Jesus, who is the centre of the universe. The next verse says, who being in the very nature God, and he's talking about Jesus here, the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And the word the very nature is the Greek word meaning the essence. That doesn't mean that Jesus was sort of like God or similar to God or had some characteristics like God. No, the very nature of God, the very essence of God. You know the dish, chili con carne? That's chili with meat. Well, Jesus was God con carne. Jesus was God with meat on. He was fully God, fully human, the great I am. But Jesus made a choice. And he said, even though I could, I'm not going to cling to my divine right. I'm going to open my hands and I'm going to let it go and I'm going to lay my ego on the altar and surrender fully to the will of the Father. The next verse continues that rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found himself in appearance as a man, God concarned, And he humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Few of you are at a stage of life at the moment where you're downsizing. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're going from a many-bedroom house to a smaller house or apartment or from a two-storey with all the stairs to a single storey because your knees are shot. Or you're going from a four-wheel drive to a Corolla. We all downsize eventually. Well, talking about downsizing or downscaling, 
Jesus goes from transcending all time and space to being a microscopic cell in the womb of a teenage girl. He goes from absolute perfection to having to learn to walk and deal with ear infections and acne and throwing up, experiencing hunger and exhaustion. To know what it feels like to be hot and to sweat and to get the chills, to be bullied, to be rejected, to be laughed at and spat upon, to be beaten up, to be stripped, humiliated, nails driven through his hands and feet. He laid down his life, he crucified his ego, he nailed his self-interest to a cross and he saved all of us from ourselves. And in his kingdom, he's asking us, you and me, to do the dishes without complaining, to let another driver merge into the lane, to let someone else get the parking spot, to go last in line. The one who voluntarily went to the cross is asking you and I to apologise to our spouse, to pick up the phone and forgive somebody, to tell our sons and our daughters how proud we are of them, to tell someone what they mean to us, to roll up our sleeves and to serve our neighbours. Because in this kingdom, Modelled by Jesus, in this kingdom we need to lay down our egos on the altar and descend into greatness. And since this is a kingdom of selflessness, you might also imagine it to be a place where generosity flows. You see, most kingdoms are about conquering and plundering and stockpiling assets, but not in this one. In this one, generosity flows like a river. In fact, in this kingdom, Jesus says in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't unpacking some kind of measure about tithing. He was saying that this is a fundamental law of life. This is the way to live. Generosity is simply the best way to, best way to live. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Because I know that a lot of you have formally who were formerly self-centred and stingy and greedy people have discovered the fun and the freedom of generosity. You know that when you spend a sizable chunk of your income for making a difference in supporting those who are ministering in places that we're supporting through our missions appeal. In making a difference through the gospel and the lives of people in our community such as the white line boys who come to the men's shed and through our play groups and through our sports centre. 
and many other places through your sponsorship and support and how deeply satisfying thing that can be. There are all kinds of studies that show that the happiest people in life are those who give themselves away. And research shows that those people who are generous with their home, generous with their hospitality, generous with their food and their time and their money, people who give themselves away, who volunteer, who coach, who mentor, who serve others, such generous persons tend to flourish in life. And that's a core value of this kingdom. And when we do it, it's as deeply fulfilling as any kind of life. Yet it still isn't about us. It's about God working through us. We are just gratefully representing Jesus bringing his kingdom from up there, down here. It's not about us. In fact, this kingdom we sing is not to us, but to your name, it's your glory, God, which we've sung earlier today. And that's the end. Now, we do have a feeling of satisfaction with our accomplishments. And it's deeply gratifying to, to use our gifts. And it's exciting to know that we can make a difference. But even then in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, we deflect the praise. We deflect all the honour and the glory to the one who has put breath in our lungs. It's a not-to-us type of kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, your light shines before others. Why? So that they might see your good deeds and give you glory? No. To glorify the God who is in heaven. Not to us. And even when we shine our light into our community, even when we use our gifts as change makers in this church, our desire is to bring this huge spotlight on God, to glorify him, to worship him. To bring praise and honour upon him. No matter what we do, or volunteer within the life of this church. It is not about bringing spotlight upon ourselves. It's throwing a huge floodlight upon God. It's interesting how God has made us all different and unique in the ways that we might serve him in different ways. In God's ingenious design for his church, he gave us all different gifts, no matter how old or young we might be. Even for us to be able to meet here today, there have been so many people behind the scenes to ensuring that this gathering can occur. 
There are those who came early today to open the building, to put on the lights, to set out the chairs. The worship team, working at the sound desk, the computer, those who loaded the computer a few days ago, those who set out the welcome desks, producing the newsletter, serving coffee, welcoming people here at the door, those who prepared morning tea, those who set up the crèche, the ones who are looking after our kids and the youth program right now, those who opened our service, those who have been praying through our service, others who will pack up everything and lock up the buildings otherwise, and the list will go on and on and on and on. Why do they do it? Because when you're changed by Jesus, when you've had your life and eternity transformed by him. When you realise that it is Jesus who puts the breath in your lungs, you just dive in and you lift your voice saying with the psalmist, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. And unlike most other kingdoms or the kingdoms that become exclusive clubs or these empires of high impregnable walls around them and moats filled with crocodiles, the kingdom of God is a radically inclusive place. The religious leaders of Jesus' day created a kind of religious country club so that to keep the undesirables out. They even labelled some people as notorious sinners, like that there were levels of sin. And so Jesus tells them some really great stories about how the kingdom of God really is. And he tells them stories about lost sheep, lost coins, lost kids, and says the kingdom of God is radically inclusive place for where everyone is welcome. Where grace and forgiveness, freedom and love is available to matter no matter who you are or where you come from. The amazing God of grace swings open the door wide and through Jesus <coughs> looks beyond our faults, looks beyond our flaws and our failures and instead of giving us what we deserve, justice, He gives us grace and unfailing love. And I, for one, am eternally grateful for the the kingdom of God is radically inclusive of a person like me. There's one last letter. The people of Jesus' day were looking for the kingdom of God to come. And they were expecting him to look for a powerful king to show up. A king who would be an economic saviour. They were looking for a political messiah. A strong military conqueror who would come and obliterate Rome. But instead in his kingdom we find a king on a cross. Talk about an upside down kingdom. To people who hoped... He would set up his massive, powerful, earthly, political kingdom. Jesus says in John 12, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone 
to myself. And he was indicating how he was going to die. He was talking about the cross being lifted up. He was talking about laying down his life and taking upon himself the punishments of the sins of the world. What kind of king does that? Our king. King Jesus does. In fact, in Colossians 2, 13 to 14, it says, you were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against him and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Our king, is a king on a cross. He laid down his life. No one took it from him. He laid it down. And he secured victory over sin and then rose from the dead that we might follow him. This is the kingdom of heaven that we ask to come down here on earth. A kingdom where we depend upon God. A kingdom where more is less and less is more. A kingdom where others always come first and we think of them as better than ourselves. A kingdom where we aren't trying to climb a ladder but we're trying to descend into greatness by putting a serving towel over our arms. A kingdom where it is just natural for generosity to flow and we give ourselves away as we understand that it is God's anyway. A kingdom where it is fun and energising to be part of and instead of singing And we sing not to us, but to his name to be the glory and the honour and the worship. A kingdom where everyone is welcome into this radically inclusive kingdom of God. Because our king is unlike any other king. He is a king who voluntarily gave himself on a cross. I want to be part of a kingdom like that. I want to be part of a kingdom like that that lasts forever. I want to follow a king like that. And I want to pray every day, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven and God use me and use us until we see his kingdom lived out here. Let me lead you in prayer. Father, your kingdom come. May your kingdom come from up there and come down here into me, into us. May your kingdom come in each of us 
as it is in heaven. That we will reflect the kingdom of God as we depend upon you. In the name of King Jesus Christ. Amen.